0: has been taking steps to defeat death. Remember in Genesis 3, people sinned against God, uh, and because people sinned against God, people now must die, right? And there's been a curse uh, through the man upon the ground. Um, God has been taking steps uh, toward defeating death on behalf of humanity. Uh, He's been taking steps toward ridding the world of this curse. That's what the entire story is about. And He is moving slowly uh, from our perspective, Um, but Peter tells us in 2 Peter that he's not moving slowly as you count slowness, instead he is being patient, and he's being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all people to come to repentance. And so the reason God is taking so much time uh, defeating death, the reason he's taking so much time to rid the world of the curse and restore justice and end oppression and do all of that is because he is patient toward people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to have grace. Uh, he, he desires to bring us with him, and he has shown that through the story. So God, he has been building. Uh, he chose a man, Abraham, and then he chose a nation, Israel. He sent Israel to Egypt. In Egypt, Israel was there for 400 years in captivity when God freed Israel from Egypt. Uh, He showed Egypt who he was, and many of the Egyptians began to fear God. Israel comes out of Egypt, uh, takes Canaan, is established in the land of Canaan, and then God gives them a king. He gives them a golden age of prosperity under kings David and Solomon. And then some time goes by, and another nation in the world rises to power. This nation is called Babylon. And Babylon comes against Israel, which is now split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And Babylon comes in and conquers Israel. And Babylon, after conquering Israel, conquers Judah and takes many of the key people from Israel and Judah into exile. Um, Tell me, after seeing God build so much, Why do you think it seems that he would allow his people to be torn down now? We've seen the trajectory of the story. God has been building, 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 building. Things have been getting better and better and better and better. And then all of a sudden, Israel is conquered and Judah is conquered. There's a lot more to the story than that. This is very simplistic. But why do you think God would allow that to be part of the story? What do you think he is doing here? When Babylon comes in, and takes many key figures in Israel and in Judah into exile. Uh, there are three men taken into exile, and maybe you know their names. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and what, how'd you pronounce that? Ab, ab, wait, how's that pronounced? <laughs> ab, ab, it's Abednego. The N comes after the D, right? Not in the child Bible. Not according to the Tales version. It's, R- it's Radshack and Benny, right? So we may call them Radshack and Benny. What happens to Radshack and Benny? Uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, right, says, everyone will bow down and worship this golden idol when the music plays. The music plays and Radshack and Benny don't bow down. They are faithful to God. They say they won't bow down. They are faithful to their word. They are faithful to God. So Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi, has them thrown into a fiery furnace, and he turns up the furnace because he doesn't like them, right? He doesn't like what they say. He doesn't like that they don't worship his idol that he has set up. So he increases the heat of the flames, even so much so that his guards who take Radshak and Benny to the furnace die because they get too close when they're throwing Radshak and Benny in. And as Radshak and Benny are in the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees four men in there, not three, right? We think this other man is the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, in there with them. Uh, And when they come out of the furnace, when he pulls them out because they're not burning up, they don't even have the stench of smoke on them. This is a miraculous delivery because Rad, Shacht, and Benny have worshipped God, their God, the Lord God, the only God, in the face of this idolatry and in the face of Babylon. And here's what I want to look at tonight. I want to look at the response of Nebuchadnezzar. This is Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, that's Nebuchadnezzar's command, and yielded up their bodies so as to not serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Now, before this in the story, Babylon was an idolatrous people, and Nebuchadnezzar was going to force the Israelites, the Jews, to worship an idol made of gold, a Babylonian idol. And now, after this happens, Nebuchadnezzar, the one who wants to force everyone to worship this other idol, now he says there is no other god, including this idol that he has made, right, who is able to deliver in the way that the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. In fact, if anyone says anything offensive against their god, Yahweh, he is going to be torn limb from limb, and and his house is going to be destroyed. We're not going to let him have any property in Babylon anymore. This is quite the change in Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so we see that even though Israel has been taken captive, even though Israel as a nation has been conquered, when they are dispersed through Babylon, they're dispersed, carrying the the power and the message of God. And Babylonians, like Egyptians, right? And Babylonians are coming to fear God. There's another man, who was also exiled into Babylon, his name is Daniel. You know this story as well, right? Daniel and the lion's den. So uh, Daniel, uh, he prays after King Darius signs an edict saying no one is allowed to pray to Yahweh, right? Uh, he signs this because he has been tricked by his own counsel because they don't like Daniel, right? Um, so uh, he is... Tricked into signing this edict, no one is to pray to Yahweh. No one is to pray to that God. Well, Daniel still prays to God, and he is found out. People are spying on him. They want to trap him. People find out. They go to King Darius, and they say, Daniel, your friend has been praying to Yahweh. So, under duress, King Darius has to follow through with the law he has signed. He throws Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel is in the lion's den, and the lions do not eat him. In the morning, Darius comes to the lion's den. He opens it up. Daniel comes out. They embrace one another. He throws his counsel in there instead, right? Says, This is what you get for being tricksters. He throws his counsel in there instead. They eat them. And he says something about Daniel. This is what Darius has to say. This is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 27. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forevermore. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Darius goes a step further than Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, he signed it into law, right? No one should speak anything offensive against God, against Yahweh. Darius says, actually, I'm going to say that we're going to worship God, that this is the God we tremble before. And he makes that decree. This is the only God who performs signs and wonders like this. This is the only God who has dominion. So Darius recognizes that even though they conquered Israel, even though they conquered Judah, even though they conquered those nations, right, that God's dominion is not bound by the landmass, the geography of a nation, the borders of a nation. That God has all dominion, that God has all power, He recognizes that God's dominion will be forever, uh, and he realizes that God's kingdom, which is not bound by the kingdom of Israel, right? It, It transcends the borders of Israel. It will never be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed because Babylon is powerful. But God shows up not by overthrowing Babylon at this point, but instead like he did in Egypt. He didn't just destroy Egypt, right? He chose a way to reveal himself there, to teach Egyptians to fear him. Now he teaches Babylonians to fear him. And so what we see in the trajectory of Israel is a building up and a building up and a building up and then a sudden tearing down at this point in the story. But that's not quite what is happening. God permits this persecution against Israel, Indeed, he says in the prophets that he is bringing Babylon against the people of Israel as punishment for their sin against him, right? But then in all persecution, we see God actually advancing his kingdom, which is really, really cool to think about. So the story is progressing. Here's what we see before Babylon, right? Uh, Israel has been in Egypt. God taught Egyptians to fear him. Israel was then in, in Canaan. And in Canaan... Israel worshipped God, and then Babylon, Bab, Babylon comes in, um, conquers Israel, and then through this whole process under Babylon, God expands his kingdom, expands his word, teaches people to fear him, and all of this territory. Like that's Babylon, and God is working there. And so each time Israel is taken away into captivity, God means that to advance his own kingdom through that persecution through the exiles of Israel uh, God is fulfilling his promise to Noah uh, to strive with humanity never again to curse the ground on account of people never again to destroy the earth on account of people he's fulfilling that promise he's fulfilling his promise to Abraham that through Abraham's descendants all the families of the earth will be blessed and with each step God takes more of the families of the earth are being blessed by his message, by his, by his work, by learning what the fear of, the God, what the fear of God is, uh, by learning his word. And more and more, God is influencing the nations. And this is still a relatively small portion of the world, but we, we can see how, it is, how the kingdom of God is expanding, uh, even through these chapters we're reading in the Old Testament so here's what I want us to remember tonight. What people mean for evil, God means for good. Okay, we can take this and we can know it personally too, right? Um, so there are people who mean evil in this world. Uh, there are people who mean evil against us. What we see when it comes to persecution, particularly with the nation of Israel, is that every time the nation of Israel is persecuted, Every time the nation of Israel is exiled, God actually uses that to expand his kingdom. He means that for for the good of the entire world. And through that, he's saving the entire world. His kingdom transcends borders. And so every time you experience persecution, every time you experience hardship at school or in life, people mean that for evil, right, or evil happens or bad things happen. Happen, but God is always moving that toward the good. We even read that in the book of Romans, right? God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Like that's what God is doing and he's always working. Uh, so we can have faith in him when we experience hardship and we can be comforted when we experience hardship in this life. God's kingdom is Boundless, It does not have any borders marked by any nation. And his kingdom is also forever. Later in Isaiah, when Isaiah writes about the kingdom of the Messiah, he says the government will be on his shoulders and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And I believe God has already started with that here in the Old Testament. And we're seeing it play out. God is saving the world. No matter what bad we see, right, what evil we see. When people mean evil, God means good through whatever is happening. And through whatever He allows to happen in His world, He is actually saving His world, no matter how we perceive it or no matter if we're experiencing any kind of suffering as a result of what's happening in the world. And so, we praise Him. That is the right response. When we see God working in the world, when we see Him actually fulfilling His promise, Even when Israel is exiled into Babylon, we praise Him because He does not change. He is doing the same work today as He was yesterday and the day before. And He is the hero of the story, uh, saving the world, not condemning it. It It's John chapter 3, right? God even sent His Son to save the world, not to condemn it. Chapter 3, verse 17, there in John's Gospel.